cultivate, um, breaking the fallow ground. So for most of you that aren't farmers, which as I look, there are some farmers here, well done. Uh, but for those of you that aren't farmers, there's a process of breaking firm ground in order to produce vegetation and fruit and all of the good things that we get to consume. And in Hosea chapter 12, it talks about breaking this fallow ground. It's a prophecy for us that our hearts often have become dry and barren. And yet God has called us to cultivate our hearts to be ripe and ready for the Lord to do something within us. And some of the ways that we can cultivate our relationship with God is through spiritual disciplines or practices. I know disciplines is a word that our culture doesn't really like because it's too negative or whatever. Um, but these spiritual practices are part of our process of becoming like Jesus. Or, as Robert Mulholland said, that spiritual formation is the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of of others, And that is 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Meaning Paul didn't write that and like Jesus didn't talk about the path that we are called to to follow in the way of Jesus. And that's not just for the religious elite. That's not just for that other person or the one that has their life together. If you claim the name of Jesus, then we are all joined together in this community and you individually. We have a mandate to become more like Jesus for the sake of those around us. So it's not just for the guy or gal that holds a microphone. It's for all of us. That as Jesus called his disciples to carry their cross, and Paul said to be crucified with Christ so that Christ may live in you. And that as we begin 2022, my hope and prayer is that this would be a body of believers who, not just on Sunday because it's the day that we get to like put on our good church clothes and put on a good show, but that from Monday to Sunday, that we all are engaging with the presence of God so much so that others will take notice. Not to give glory to me, but to give glory to the Father, who's the one that ultimately is responsible for growth in our lives. And so this morning, we are going to talk about the practice of prayer. So let me take you back to what seems like almost forever ago. The year is 2007, and I had just turned 16 years old. So you can, I brought a picture so you guys could make fun of me. I was 16 years old, 2007, getting to the end of my birthday party, and there's one last gift. Mom slides it this way, has a big smile on her face, and I'm like, what? What is this? I wasn't expecting this. So for those of you under the age of like 30, that thing was prime technology in 2007. Unfortunately, a month after the iPhone released, so that's kind of a bummer. I'm kind of glad I didn't have an iPhone, but I was so excited to get that little blue brick that I called a phone. And yes, there was like a pull-out antenna so I could get better service. So for those of you that are older than 30, you're like, whew, that was a game changer, am I right? But with that little blue brick, 
a whole world was open for me. I had the ability to talk to so many different people that weren't in the same room as me, which now people just like text or Snapchat in the same room. We're not talking about that. But I had the ability to communicate with my friend who was maybe in a different zip code. At that point, I didn't have unlimited texting, so I wasn't allowed to text people, or so I found out and got in trouble for later. But that little blue device opened up a whole new world to 16-year-old Jordan that 15-year-old Jordan didn't have. And for those of us that have chosen the way of Jesus, if we believe that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins and rose again three days later to welcome us back into a right relationship with God, then we have something far greater than that blue little brick that I call the phone. We have access to the King of kings and Lord of lords. We who follow Jesus, we don't believe that we have to go through any other medium. We can go straight to the Father in prayer. You don't have to jump through religious hoops. You don't have to have a title behind your name. You, child, have access to your heavenly Father. And we call that prayer. And in the story that Maria read for you, it's a popular one. It's one of five stories that's mentioned in all four Gospels. And if that's the case, we should probably take heed of what it means. And so Jesus didn't just come into the temple and he saw people were selling things and he wasn't just having a bad day and that was the straw that broke the camel's back. He's like, okay, let's just flip a table. 21st century Christians will love that. Jesus didn't just have a bad day. He walked into the temple and he saw that people were using the temple for something that wasn't intended. And he got indignant because they were selling things that they didn't need to sell and they were forsaking the original intention of what the temple was supposed to be. As Isaiah prophesied that this would be called a house of prayer and that they had turned it into a den of robbers, which I, just on a side note, I wonder what Jesus thinks oftentimes about the Western church's gatherings. Have we again turned it into a marketplace of consumerism about what we want and about things that we can get instead of gathering here as a house of prayer? That prayer, communication with God is what Jesus came into that temple that day. That's why he flipped tables. And Jesus is still that passionate about prayer for us today. That it's not something that we should see as a secondary thing. It's not an emergency only lifeline. It shouldn't just merely be sprinkled on to the end of a meal or like between songs in a worship service because that's like the good Christian thing to do. And in Connection 101, we're going to talk about our denomination, which is the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And our first core value, which, by the way, we were like a missions deeper life movement, still are. So you would think our first one's like go to all the different places of the world, the 1040 window, all the good things. The first core value of the Christian Missionary Alliance Church is prayer is the primary work of the people of God. 
I'll say it again for emphasis. Prayer is the primary work of the people of God. And if that's what Jesus was passionately leading the way for us to have access back to the Father, wouldn't you think that we should want to spend time with our Father in prayer? So for the purpose of this morning, um, because I know you have three questions about prayer, so I decided in my notes to ask them, and I'm planning on answering them as best as I can. So we're going to answer the questions, what is prayer, why do I pray, and how do I pray? So we'll answer what is prayer, why do I pray, and how do I pray? So before I get into talking about prayer, let's practice it a little bit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that through your life, death, resurrection, and return, that you have accomplished all that we couldn't. Thank you that we have access to your throne without need to say the right words or the need to be in the right location, but that anytime, anywhere, we can engage with you. And so, Lord, as we look at prayer, would you give us a fire and a passion to want to spend time with you? Not because we want you to do something for us, but because we want you. So this morning, God, would you reignite a fire of prayer within us, us as individuals and us as a church. We love you, and we thank you for this time and space. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first question is, what is prayer? Because for some of us, we've been in church for decades or years, and we've heard people pray, and we've, we've seen people pray, and we might just not know what prayer is. So to put it simply, prayer is communion with the triune God, or in simpler terms, being with God. It's being connected to and being aware of the God that is already in your midst. Prayer is not having to jump through and travel so many different places to try to engage with the presence of God. The presence of God is already in your midst, and prayer is just connecting with God who is with you. So there is a painting by Andrea Rublev in the 15th century entitled The Trinity. And there's the picture there. And he painted this not just because he was showing off how awesome of a painter he was, but this painting was actually a picture for those that see of what prayer is. It's believed that Rublev had the left, left individual as God the Father, the middle is God the Son, and on the right is God the Spirit. And that as you pray, that prayer is pulling up a chair to that table. Psalm 23 also said that you prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That when you pray, you're pulling up a seat to that table. So when you pray, you are not praying to a void. You are not praying in hopes that maybe God might hear you. 
when you pray, whether it's prayers of being on the mountaintop and God's been so good and you just can't help but to talk with your heavenly father and thank him, or you might be in the valley low and you might be doubting everything and you're crying out with deep anguish and you don't know what to say, but you don't know what's going on. And when you pray and cry out to God that you are still in those moments pulling up a seat to that table. Or as Richard Foster says, the primary purpose of prayer is to bring us into such a life of communion with the Father that by the power of the Spirit, we are increasingly conformed to the image of the Son. Notice the Trinity language there that that Richard Foster uses in one of my favorite books on prayer is called Prayer by Richard Foster. If you want to read it, I have a copy. Would love to let you borrow it. It is highlighted up, I'll tell you that. But often we can think of prayer as a way to try to get God to do what we want. Or for some of us in this room, because I'd be naive to think that some of us, we don't believe in the power of prayer. Maybe you've been praying for years and God hasn't like shown up in the way that you have expected. And you're like, well, I've been praying for so long and I haven't seen anything. So why do I keep praying? And we'll get to a little bit of that in a minute. But I think if we begin with the right posture of what prayer is, that'll help so much. And there are many different ways and methods that we can pray. And unfortunately, I don't have a ton of time to get into all of it, but I will just list a few. So there's a prayer of petition, meaning asking God for something specific. There's prayer of intercession, where you are praying on behalf of others. There's healing prayer. There's ordinary prayer, prayer of examine, contemplative prayer, prayers of tears, simple prayer, authoritative prayer, and the list can go on and on and on. All of that to say that God has opened himself up to us regardless of the path that we take into the heart of God. It could be through tears. It could be through joy. It could be through intercession. It could be praying for healing on behalf of someone else, which we as a church are continuing to pray for Tony and his healing journey and so many others. But God has opened up his heart for you to enter. Not some fake God or like a secondary God, but God the Father himself has opened up his heart so that we could freely enter. And oftentimes, prayer, because we've seen it as a secondary practice, that it's something that we toss to the side because we have so many other things that we have to do. Sometimes even really good-intentioned Christians will get after the mission without connection with the Father. As one pastor said, a man must first be great with God before he can become great for him. God mourns over our busyness and our preoccupation with things that aren't of him. And as God seeks after us, he eagerly desires for us to likewise seek after him. Because the method of how you engage with God is secondary. The primary focus should be on him. 
Or as Eugene Peterson said, the task is not to get God to do something I think needs done, but to become aware of what God is doing so that I can participate in it. God is looking for men and women who are so connected in prayer that we're not trying to bring our agenda to God, but that we're actually just bringing our heart to God, surrendering ourselves to him and listening to his direction and following him. Which, by the way, Jesus talks often of prayer. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, in particular, says to not be like the hypocrites who would stand out in a marketplace and stand on top of crates and just begin to pray to make a show of it. To not do that because your Father knows the things you need before you ask them. That your Heavenly Father is so intimately close to you, knows every hair on your head, knows every, every weight that you are feeling deep within you. God knows. And he's with you. And that when you pray, you don't need to be like the hypocrites. Which then leads into the second question of why do we pray? Because if Matthew 6, 8 is true, and if God already knows the things that like, you want to pray and to lift up before the Father, if God already knows it, then why do I even need to pray? Can't I just go throughout my day, and if God already knows that like, I'm feeling sick and need healing, doesn't God already know that? Why do I even need to pray? And it's a legitimate question that I know a lot of people have asked. But I would like to say this, that prayer is not meant to be a practice pursued for a product. The goal of prayer is not in a product, but in a person. That as we pray, the fulfillment of prayer and the duty of prayer is to be with God. The results are up to him. Our primary work as followers of Jesus is to just be with him. And then it's from there that God then will give instructions on things that he has called us to do. So let me share a story to hopefully help bring this point home. So one of my best friends throughout my life was my grandpa, or I'm going to call him Pa. So if you have like a Pa at home, just deal with it. I'm going to talk about mine for a little bit. So Pa was one of my best friends. Throughout elementary school, middle school, which are some of the most formative years of my life, I would have told you, like little blue phone Jordan would have told you that my grandpa was my best friend. And I didn't love him just because he would give me like a quarter if I decided to vacuum his room. Like I didn't love him because he gave the best Christmas gifts but I just loved him for him. And when my grandma passed away, right before we moved to a different location, my grandpa kind of reluctantly decided to move in with us, which I know involved a bunch of challenges that my parents probably wouldn't even share with us, but I loved it. My best friend was living in my own house. And it was awesome. Every day I'd come home from school and we would sit down at the table and he would just ask me about my day. He would ask me about my troubles or if I didn't have a whole lot to share, he would want to play cards or a game or something with me. And I just loved it so much. 
to not know that I could have had the worst week in the world. I could have done something so wrong or like my grandpa would often do, like I still remember my first spelling bee in sixth grade, I came home and I got 100% and my grandpa sat at our kitchen table and wept with joy over me, over a spelling test. Like I could spell cattle, right? Like, come on. But he would have that same response when I would go on and do well in athletic events. And I miss him. Not for the things that he did, but for just being there. That I knew when I came home, my grandpa would sit in the same chair with the same smile and the same joy. And I knew I could pull up a chair whenever I wanted and talk, play games, and just enjoy him. And I hope you guys have someone like a pa in your life. Even if you don't, your heavenly father who loves you more than pa could ever love me or more than your pa could ever love you. That the heavenly father is eagerly desiring for you to pull up a, a chair to the table, not because he's ready to condemn you and strike you down for the things that you did wrong this past week, your heavenly father wants you to spend time with him in prayer, to pull up a chair to that table, to be with you, and to enjoy your presence. The perfect, all-loving, all-knowing God wants to be with you and me. And yet we forsake time with God for things that don't matter. If you don't believe me about the importance of prayer throughout Scripture in the 66 books of the Bible, prayer is specifically mentioned in 61 of them, which, by the way, is a lot. And so what I'm going to do for the next little bit, for those of you that are more academically minded, and if you're a note taker, phenomenal. You're going to have plenty of notes to take, but I'm going to go through a fire hose of biblical examples of prayer just so you guys get the importance of prayer and why God values prayer. So the first time prayer is mentioned throughout scripture is in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26. Why that's the first mention and not before is because Adam and Eve were dwelling with God in the cool of the day. And there's no need for prayer because they were just already with him. Sin created a separation between God and man. And then in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, that after Enosh was born to Seth, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So from Genesis 4, there's already a beginning of prayer. Fast forward to Exodus chapter 2. The nation of Israel is in, is in slavery, and they're crying out to God because of that slavery. And as the passage says, God heard their groanings and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the Israelites, and God knew. Fast forward to Exodus chapter 33. Moses would go into the tent of meeting to meet with the Lord, and he would talk with the Lord face to face just as a man speaks with his friend. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, Samuel actually considered it to himself a sin if he began to cease praying for Israel. And the passage that Maria read for us this morning was a prophecy out of Isaiah 56, which talks about how the house of God is called a house of prayer. Let's get to the New Testament. Luke chapter 5 verse 16 says that Jesus often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. 
in Mark chapter 1, which is the most concise gospel account that we have. In Mark chapter 1, two different times it is recorded that Jesus had to withdraw to pray. Which, by the way, if part of Jesus' discipleship, like the Son of God, if he emphasized prayer and he had to get away from the busyness to pray, then who are we to think that we're exempt? Who are we to think that we could stay in our busyness and that I've crushed discipleship more than Jesus? And yet, if Jesus valued prayer that much, why do we consider it a secondary practice? Let's keep going. I've got more. Philippians 4, 4 through 8 is one of the best prayers I've seen in Scripture. And that prayer grants peace, which will then guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8 mentions that the Spirit himself intercedes for us as we pray, even if we don't have words to pray. Colossians chapter 4 says to devote yourselves to prayer. James chapter 5 mentions that prayer is powerful and effective, and I'll mention that passage in a little bit. We have 1 Thessalonians 5.17 that says that we are to pray unceasingly. For some of us, getting into Hebrews chapter 7, we think that Jesus right now is propped up on a lazy boy just waiting to finally fulfill his mission, but yet Jesus right now is actually active in ministry. And you know what his mission is according to Hebrews 7.25? Intercession. Or in other words, prayer. Revelation chapter 5 and 8 both mention this golden bowl that is filled with the prayers of the saints. And Revelation chapter 8 actually says that those prayers get released and the tears of the saints and the prayers of the saints will be answered. So church, those prayers that you're crying out with tears are being heard in the throne room of God. And then Revelation chapter 22 actually ends by revealing that the entire book of Revelation is a, catch this, it's a prayer. And to give you some people and people group that are known for prayer, Daniel, in the midst of the Babylonian opposition and laws, he prayed, Daniel 6 verse 10 Nehemiah, when he heard of the ruins in Jerusalem, he began by fasting and praying. Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1 was barren for so long and ridiculed by those around her. And with great anguish, she desperately prayed for a son and that she would then give her son in service to the Lord. David, after hearing from Nathan about the Lord's covenant to David, he sat in the Lord's presence and prayed a really long prayer of thanksgiving in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Elijah prayed for a widow's son to be raised from the dead, and he prayed in the midst of the prophets of Baal for fire to consume the altar. We looked this past winter at Zechariah and Elizabeth and how they had been praying for a son, and that in Luke chapter 1, it says that God heard their prayers. And then last, the disciples in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus had ascended, it says that they were continually united in prayer, and that in chapter 2, they were up in an upper room praying when the Holy Spirit descended upon them at Pentecost. There's no pop quiz. I'm not going to expect you to remember all of that. But hopefully by this point, you get the point. Why do we pray? Because God values prayer. Why do we pray? Because Jesus actually gave his life so that we could pray. Yes, salvation and to be with God forever and to like 
have our sins forgiven, yes. But prayer is vitally necessary as we seek to live the good life. I'll quote our core value of the Christian Missionary Alliance Church again. Prayer is the primary work of the people of God. Do we believe it? So the story, once again, that Maria read, Jesus comes in and calls it a house of prayer, though they had turned it into a den of robbers. That's the original intention of our gathering church. Is that when we gather, not that like there's no music or no preaching or anything like that, but that the common core thing that would happen in this house would be prayer. That everything we do is in prayer. That as we hear Ben sing worship songs and as we read the words on the screen, that we would then turn that song and those words into prayers ascending back to the throne room of God. That as we hear the word of God and as we maybe even get some like mental pictures of people we need to pray for or some situation that needs to be taken care of or whatever, that even in those moments that you in yourself right now can pray. And that we would spend significant time returning to the original intention of what we were called to do, which is to pray. Which leads to the last question, how do we pray? I mentioned different methods and modes and different words that you can say within prayer, which those things are good. But many of us don't know how to pray. And if that was the one question that the disciples asked Jesus how to do, then maybe we should take heed and listen to what Jesus had to say about it. Because take note, like Jesus cast out demons, Jesus healed people, like he did so many miraculous things. And yet the one question the disciples had wasn't how to cast out demons. It wasn't how to heal people. It wasn't how to do anything else. It wasn't how to read the Torah. Their one question in Luke 11, 1 said, Lord, teach us to pray. Because they ultimately knew all the other things were secondary and that Jesus received his authority and received his power through connection with the Father. They knew it. So Jesus, teach us to pray. And what's interesting is Jesus didn't like open up the Torah, didn't open up the Old Testament and like go through an hour-long dissertation of prayer. How did he teach them? He prayed. He welcomed them alongside them and said, okay, here's how you pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And many of us have been in church for so long, and yet we still get uncomfortable when we try to pray. You could always do this experiment. If you're in a small group or even in a bigger setting, I do this in youth group, and it's awesome. So youth kids, here you go. Get in a group after the message or when you're ready to be done and you're ready to pray. Just ask, who would like to close us in prayer? Easiest way to get middle school kids to be quiet. But yeah, I've seen adult rooms with people that I would consider saints. 
that if you ask them to pray, like you might as well be asking them to do like a gymnastics routine. Why is that? To be frank, it breaks my heart. That there are those of us in this room that don't want to or don't want to know how to pray. Not because you need a spiritual gift of prayer, but because I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I know that when I commune with the Father, that it is good for my soul. Even if I don't get a product, I get Jesus, and Jesus is enough. And even if I don't hear anything, I want to be with my God. And the words honestly don't matter a whole lot. So why do we not want to pray? My theory is it's one of a few things. Either you're uncomfortable praying, or if you're honest with yourself, you don't believe in prayer. Because if you did believe in prayer, you would want to pray. Or if you do believe in prayer, you're uncomfortable with it. And this isn't an introvert or an extrovert thing. I think this is a deeper spiritual issue. Prayer is essential. If it was essential to Jesus, it should be essential to us. And our challenge isn't to memorize a formula. If you do memorize things like the Lord's Prayer, Psalm 23, the Sinner's Prayer, uh, there's the Serenity Prayer, and the list can go on. And those things are helpful if you don't have words. but we're not here to memorize those things. It's just to prioritize being with God. And as that picture showed, to pull up a chair to that table and catch this to listen. Because you think the Godhead right now is speaking? Yep. Do you think the Godhead loves you and wants to invite you into something? even if he's inviting you into silence and rest. Doesn't that sound awesome? The very God that loves you and gave his son for you. Knowing your rap sheet, knowing all the things that you have done or will do. That God wants to be with you. And you can study the saints, you can read books, you can read scripture, you can listen to sermons or lectures that are far better than the one that I'm giving now. And you could have the best of intentions. But until we actually engage with prayer, we won't become people of prayer. We could talk about it all we want. Man, it would be nice to have our prayer meeting be filled with people and for people to fall over slain in the spirit and healing and all of that stuff and we can talk about it and that would be awesome but until we actually go out and do it then we're just going to be talking about it and that's the thing with all of these disciplines that we talk about but in particular with prayer it's one of the engagement disciple disciplines that you actually have to do Like, you have to create time and space to be with your Heavenly Father. I can't, like, hold your hand and walk with you through every time you need to pray. 
And so as I close and, and as we get ready to sing and do all sorts of other good godly things, guess how we're going to end this sermon? With an opportunity for us to... Thanks, I heard a few people. We're going to pray, y'all. This is called the house of prayer. So let's return to it for a little bit. Because I think God right now in heaven, as he thinks of you, you're not a lost project. He's not unconcerned with where you are now. I believe God has placed you in this midst so that you could re-engage with him. Or for those of you that are people of prayer and well done, this space is for you to continue pressing into the presence of God. E.M. Bounds wrote a book called Power Through Prayer, and he said this, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more in novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use. Men of prayer, men mighty in prayer, Catch this. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men. Men of prayer, which by the way, when you read men, will include women as well. God does not anoint plans. He doesn't fill methods or programs or machinery. So we could do all of the programs we want. But if we want to see God move, then it flows through people of prayer. And if we want to see God move in our households, if we want to see God show up in our workplaces, within this church, within our community, within the world, it begins with prayer begins with us going before the Father to pray. So let's pull that picture back up of the Trinity table just as a way for you to hopefully be encouraged. Pull up a chair to that table. And may those who have ears, let them hear. May your heart be open to receive what God has for you this morning. As Revelation 3.20 says, see and this is Jesus speaking, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So Ben, as you come on up and get prepared to lead us, would we prepare our hearts in prayer? You could have came in here and you're weary from one of the worst weeks of your life. God wants to meet you and bring rest and comfort. You could have had a great week. God wants to meet you in your celebration. Maybe you came in here and you're doubting God. You're looking at the state of the world around you and you have no idea how there could be a good and loving God in the midst of all of this. Pull up a chair to the table and bring your doubts. If you feel unloved, if you feel like that you're a lost cause, pull up a chair to the table and hear affirmation from God.